trauma isn't this big thing that happens to you. It's really described as events that exceed our capacity to cope. And so that could be very different for different people. For example, like if you're a kid, something might happen to you and that might have felt like trauma at the time. But as an adult and you look back on it, it might seem kind of silly and like, why was that so bad at the time? But our nervous systems and our bodies remember those moments of not being able to cope. And that really shows up as trauma. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. After personally struggling for years upon years with chronic health issues that traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals could not resolve, I finally found relief in true healing through a functional medicine approach. Since then, I've dedicated my life to helping patients around the world transform their health by getting to the root cause of symptoms and restoring their body's natural ability to heal. This experience has shown me that a true state of wellness often requires an integrated approach that brings in multiple disciplines and modalities. In this podcast, I will interview a variety of practitioners and health professionals to educate and empower you on the full spectrum of tools that are available to reclaim your health and vitality. If you are struggling with health challenges and you are not getting the answers or results you feel you deserve, or you simply want to optimize your health and take a proactive approach to wellness, this podcast is for you. And if you like this show and find it helpful, be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. So let's get started. Today we are joined by Brooke Butler, and we're going to talk all about mental health and polyvagal theory. Yes, I said vagal theory, so if you're familiar with the vagus nerve and you find it fascinating, you definitely want to listen to this episode. Brooke is a relational therapist who works with couples, individuals, and families who are struggling in different areas in their lives. She frequently incorporates polyvagal theory into her practice, which revolves around nervous system regulation. She finds that when her clients start to understand their own nervous system and that many triggers and emotions they experience come from the different states of their nervous system, they can use learned tools to get out of being in a constant state of survival mode. Brooke also works with clients using Parks work, mindfulness, emotional freedom technique, and cognitive behavioral therapy. She specializes in habit change, anxiety, depression, body image issues, poor relationship with foods, life transitions, and so much more. This is an excellent episode. Make sure you stay tuned to the end for helpful tips. Let's dive in and get started. Well, hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for joining us on the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. I've been looking forward to this episode, and I just appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. Well, today we have an amazing topic, and I'm just excited to pick your brain and learn more about polyvagal theory. But before we jump into uh, the main topic, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and your background and really what inspired you to, to get into mental health as a profession. Yeah, so I am an LMFT um, associate. I actually have been so intrigued by psychology my whole life, especially in high school. And high school is where I really where I was like, I want to be a therapist someday. So I majored in psychology at Texas State, actually. And after that, I was kind of burnt out from school when I graduated. So I was like, okay, we're going to put that on the back burner for now. I ended up in the corporate world for a little while. 
And then something happened to me and my friend actually one time, it was after a happy hour at the job I was at the time, we were walking down the street and we got attacked and mugged by a man here in Austin. And it was such a terrifying experience and really left us really shaken up. And it was, while it was such a terrible thing to happen, it was also this big wake up call, right? It was like, okay, I'm not living my life in alignment with what I really want to be doing right now. Also where I was like, how can I help myself in this situation? You know, my anxiety levels were so high from the trauma. And so I immediately started applying to grad schools. I got into grad school at ACU, ended up going there for, I think it was about three years throughout my program. And then graduated, got a bunch of experience at an agency. I was able to help myself and then also learn how can I help other people who've experienced something like I have. And then after that, I started my private practice and now here I am. Wow, that's amazing. How terrifying, but it's, it's crazy that, you know, I mean, again, everything happens for a reason and it got you to where you are today. And now you're helping people who went through similar episodes. And that's the perfect segue into my first question because Trauma is such a, a big part of what we all do. And, you know, whether you're dealing with mental health or physical health, you can't forget about, you know, trauma and the impact that has on the body. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about trauma and what it is? A lot of people, when they think about trauma, they think about something significant, like what soldiers might experience in a war. But I, I know it always doesn't have to be that severe. Trauma can take a lot of different forms. I'd love for you to just to talk a little bit more about trauma and how it uh, can impact people's health, if you don't mind. So trauma is really common. And like you said, tra trauma isn't this big thing that happens to you. It's really described as events that exceed our capacity to cope. And so that could be very different for different people. For example, like if you're a kid, something might happen to you and that might've felt like trauma at the time, but as an adult and you look back on it, it might seem kind of silly and like, why was that so bad at the time? But our nervous systems and our bodies remember those moments of not being able to cope. And that really shows up as trauma. And there's this book called um, The Body Keeps the Score. It's by Bessel van der Kolk. I'm sure you've heard of it. So many yeah. people have. Great read. And it is, I think, a really great way to depict how trauma impacts us in our bodies are if we have autoimmune disorders that can come from trauma, just so many things. Absolutely. And like you said, it's very prevalent. And a lot of people aren't even aware of what we, that it happened to them or don't really understand the significance. We see that a lot in patients, like you said, who are struggling with chronic disease where, you know, they are eating the right foods, exercising, they're taking their supplements. They think they're doing everything right. And we really don't see that change or that healing really take place until they, they dive into addressing their trauma. That's so common. And uh, I'm so glad you told us more about that. And like I said, we're going to dive into that more on trauma today. But before we do, I'd love to, again, learn a little bit more about anxiety. Before we talk about the details of polyvagal theory, talk more about anxiety and what that is. It's just, I feel like everybody's being diagnosed with anxiety, especially in the, with all the chaos that's happening in our world. And a lot of people are suffering from symptoms and, and may not even know what's going on. So what is anxiety for starters and how big of a problem is it? So anxiety is 
a normal stress response. We all get anxiety. It's completely normal. And we kind of get it in varying degrees, depending on what our stressor is and how we interpret that stressor, right? So when it starts to be a problem and when it, you know, it diagnosed as an anxiety disorder, is when that anxiety is impacting your life in some way, in some significant way. So your day-to-day life looks differently because of your anxiety. And typically it's when people are trying to avoid the thing that's going to cause their anxiety. You know, people who are agoraphobic, they avoid leaving their home because of their anxiety. And it's just this super high level of anxiety that they can't cope with. Is this something that a lot of people struggle with? I mean, in regards to all of the different, you know, mental health disorders that are out there, is anxiety one of the more prevalent ones? Yeah. So actually over 40 million adults in the U.S. have reported having anxiety. And that number is huge, but I would argue that it's probably actually higher. I don't know about you, but almost everyone I know has had anxiety that's, that they just can't cope with to super high levels, at least some time in their life, kind of depending on what they're going through. So it's a high number and I think it's even higher. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so what would be some of the symptoms someone might be experiencing if they are suffering from anxiety, if they are anxious? What, what do you typically see in your patients? Yeah, if you are finding yourself avoiding a lot of situations, you're finding yourself maybe having a lot of gut issues around a certain situation, whether it be in a social situation, at work, whenever you just simply cannot cope, you can't really find a way to soothe yourself in normal situations that don't feel actually threatening for most people. That's when you might be suffering from anxiety. And there's a lot of physical manifestations as well, right? I mean, I know sometimes it could be scary. I used to you know, work in the ER and I remember, you know, people coming in with palpitations and they yeah. have chest pain and they couldn't breathe. And then you know, and it was just an anxiety attack as opposed to being cardiovascular. So that it, it, it can be very scary and very real for people. What are some of the causes of, of anxiety? Do you want to maybe talk a little bit about that? Is it just a deficiency of, of Prozac or, or Zoloft or is there actually other things involved with anxiety? You know, that kind of leads me into our talk about the vagus nerve. I think that's a great segment because, um, you know, this vagus nerve, it's the longest cranial nerve that we have in our body. It It runs from our brain to our gut. It's responsible for so many different functions, digestion, heart rate, immune system. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's a very small amount. But When we can understand that and just imagine that this nerve being dysregulated, this thing that regulates all these other things, of course we have all like our heart palpitations, issues with our gut. Our vagus nerve is dysregulated. Absolutely. So the vagus nerve, a lot of people have heard of the rest or digest or the fight or flight response, those aspects of the central nervous system. So what is the vagus nerve primarily involved in when we look at that? the central nervous system? Is it the the fight or flight or is it the rest and digest? Am I talking a little bit about those specifics? Yeah, that kind of goes into polyvagal theory because it depends on the state of your nervous system, right? Like what state are you in? If we go into the functions of the vagus nerve, if that's dysregulated, you could have weight gain, 
weight loss, IBS, depression, anxiety, irregular heart rate, heartburn, vasovagal syncope, which is just this reflex that triggers rapid decrease of the heart, really scary stuff, along with like chronic inflammation and all that other stuff. But I think polyvagal theory is really a great way of explaining what state that you need to be in in order to get into rest and digest and what state you're in to see why is this happening for me? Why am I having these IBS issues? Why am I suffering from this anxiety, all that kind of stuff? So it sounds pretty complicated, like complex. I mean, there's a lot involved with the vagal nerve. It's got its fingers into a a variety of different systems. So I'm sure, does this get overlooked a lot? You know, I mean, again, as a problem, because you just mentioned like the, the, the nervous system, the, the gastrointestinal system, parts of the endocrine system. I get all of these factors sounds like can be affected by the vagus nerve. So I would imagine that, you know, the problems with the vagus nerve or with the central nervous system oftentimes do get overlooked in conventional medicine. Oh, absolutely. I don't think people think about how your emotions are impacting your health and how if your vagus nerve is dysregulated, which it can be from your emotion, then all of these other functions in your body are also going to be dysregulated. So absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great point. And so let's dive into the polyvagal theory. I know that is your specialty. So what is the polyvagal theory? What are the main components of it? And how do you incorporate that into your practice? So the polyvagal theory, it's not really a model of therapy. It's more of an overall approach. And I think everybody could use it. So it's basically this idea that we have these three states of our nervous system. And when we're in some of these lower states, we don't really have access to our higher cognitive functioning. We have all these issues like I said, that go along with our vagal vagus nerve being dysregulated. But basically each of these states really colors like how we see ourselves, how we see the world and dictates how we behave, how we think. So if you could just imagine like big of a difference it would be to be in a higher state of that. So I'll go into that. The three states are the dorsal vagal, the sympathetic and the ventral vagal state. And so starting at the dorsal vagal, so this state's all about immobilization. It's about freezing, wanting to disappear. This is really where depression lives. And some people have described it as the emotional equivalent of feeling like you're in an underwater cave in an air pocket, just feeling so stuck. This nervous system state is actually responsible for regulating digestion. It's our oldest adapted nervous system state. And then we have our sympathetic state. So that's all about mobilization. It's all about fight or flight. This is the one we're probably all so familiar with. This is where anxiety lives. And people describe it as this feeling of being on fire, feeling this need to flee, become aggressive and angry. And this state's responsible for breathing and heart rate regulation. This is actually the second oldest adaptive state. And it was obviously adapted for us to outrun our predators, right? And then the ventral state. So this is the highest state. This is the most recent adaptive state. And this is all about safety and connection, feeling safe, feeling healthy, having a growth mindset, feeling hopeful and free. And this state's responsible for healing. And when we're in this state and this state's intact, then all these other states are free to do their job and are regulating all these other functions in our body. 
like breathing, heart rate, all that stuff. And this is the state you need to be in, in order to heal. So if you can imagine interacting with the world in this state, it would be way different, right? Than some of the others. And it's really normal for us to flow between all three of these states. So if you find yourself in some of the lower states, it's not bad or anything, but the idea is being able to pull yourself back out and not live in a certain lower state. Because I'd imagine at certain times, it's actually healthy to be in some of these different states, right? That we might think of as dysfunctional, but at other times, you know, or prolonged time in a particular state, it's definitely going to affect us in a negative way. So yeah, you mentioned the depression. I mean, that's another big problem that a lot of, of, of people uh, seem to face uh, with this type of approach or, or, or this type of mindset. Are you, do you see significant improvement in, in depression and anxiety with, you know, with how you handle things in, in regards to polybagel? Yeah, I, I can see people start to view their depression and anxiety in a different way. They're viewing it as this state that they're in instead of just who they are. It's not a part of their identity anymore. It's just a state that they happen to be in. And we kind of work on what does the ventral state look like to you? What's a way that you can pull yourself back into it? Do you have to imagine yourself on a beach? Sometimes that helps people, you know, so many different things, but it's just a way for them to view it as a state they're in and not who they are. And I think it's really helpful. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Now, has this model been around for a long time? Is it new? What's the background or history on this? So this was developed by Dr. Stephen, and I think I'm saying this right, Porges, in 1994. It was expanded on by Deb Dana. I think she wrote her book in 2018. Also fantastic read if you can get your hands on it. But she is really where I've gotten most of my information. I've done some of her trainings and just so much great information. She's famous for developing the um, polyvagal ladder, which is basically this like depiction of a ladder. And if you can imagine dorsal, sympathetic, and then ventral. And sometimes people find themselves kind of in between each state. So I think the ladder is a great way of seeing like here, I was able to get out of this really low state of dorsal and kind of into this state of uh, sympathetic, which is obviously better than being in dorsal. So yeah, it's been around for a little bit, but I think it's underrated in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Do you mind just talking more about each state just so our listeners have a, a, a clear understanding? So what would be some symptoms or signs that someone is in the dorsal state? What would they be experiencing in their life to tell them that they may be living more seldom in that dorsal state? I think it's mostly about how are you talking to yourself? How are you viewing yourself? And how are you viewing the world? Later, I'll go into like a little bit of a journal prompt to help with this, to discover what your states look like. But mostly, if you're viewing the world as scary and you feel stuck and you feel like you can't get out from anything, you feel like you have no hope, that's really dorsal. That's where you're going to find yourself in dorsal. If it's, if you're in sympathetic, you might find yourself feeling angry, aggressive towards the world, feeling maybe a little bit like, oh, I'm better than everybody else mentality. And the world is bad, full of stupid people. So if you find yourself doing that, then you're in sympathetic. Ventral, 
is pretty easy to understand, right? If you find yourself feeling hopeful, like you're going out into your day-to-day feeling like there are opportunities coming your way, you're in ventral and that's a great place to be. It's so interesting when we're working with people who have chronic illness or uh, disease, the ones that do the best are the ones that you mentioned are in that ventral state. Like they just, they're motivated, they're excited, they're optimistic. They know they're going to do well. They're going to do what it takes. Those are the ones that just blow us away with what they can accomplish and what they can overcome. But now with the way you're talking about some of these other places, uh, you know, when they like the sympathetic state or the, the parasympathetic or dorsal vagal, it's like there's, I can just picture so many different people who are, who have that mindset, who have that attitude and they, it just holds them back from being well, not only mentally, but, but physically it's, that's, it's so interesting. Yeah. And you know, that kind of leads me into why is polyvagal theory so important for therapy purposes? If a client is stuck in dorsal or sympathetic, these earlier adaptive states, it's going to be kind of impossible for them to get any value from therapy. And maybe that's kind of what you're seeing too. Because they're in a fight with their nervous system. They're fully engaged with these adaptive narratives that they have, that they've developed to survive. And those narratives are what are creating those toxic thoughts, those toxic patterns, toxic behaviors that really brought them to therapy, right? So they're living in the past or the future instead of the present, and they're just fully engaged in survival mode. It also has implications for health, right? Because as we discussed, if we're in dorsal, our digestion can't be regulated, which leads to gut issues, bloating, metabolic issues, et cetera, that I'm sure you could speak to more than I could. And if we're in sympathetic, then our breathing, our heart rate can't be regulated, which leads to high cortisol levels, adrenaline. Again, something that you could probably speak to better than me, but nervous system regulation really has a place in mental and physical health. I agree. We see that we're always trying to figure out what's at the root of the problem. Why are these things happening? A lot of times there's this central nervous system state that's not being addressed. And uh, do you feel like there's a personality connection or some people just wound a a little tighter and, and more prone to being? in that sympathetic state or, or even the dorsal state, or do you, is there a genetic component? What are your thoughts on on kind of the predisposition for this type of stuff? I think it's learned. I mean, we're the states that we're in are typically for protection for some reason. And so if from our family of origin or childhood, our experiences, we learned that it's safest to disappear and stay in dorsal and, you know, hold up or safest to fight and, you know, be aggressive, then that's the state that we're going to learn to stay in. It's really all about what is our adaptation for survival. Right. Well, that's encouraging that if it's learned, it can be unlearned, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, absolutely. <laughs> and so that that's where, again, that connection with the trauma really plays into this, I bet. I mean, people, the experiences that they have earlier on in life can, could absolutely dictate where they stand in this model later on. Is that correct? Absolutely. For sure. Awesome. Well, we talked a little bit about the model and what it looks like in the different phases, but where does it start? If we are in some of these maladapted states and how do we get out of them? What are some ways to get you to more of that ventral vagal state where things are calm and 
and chill and where we all want to be. <laughs> yeah. So there are so many different exercises that you can do. There are my, this one's my absolute favorite. I use it on myself. I tell all my clients, get a bag of frozen peas, frozen fruit, whatever you have in your freezer and place it right here on your vagus nerve, just in the center of your chest. That's called icing the vagus nerve because extreme cold can kind of pull you back out of, and just really soothe that nerve. Another thing you can do is breath work, deep diaphragm breathing, which you can find those on YouTube. Humming meditations really soothe that, soothe that nerve. So you might feel silly sitting there humming while you're trying to meditate, but it does wonders. And that's really just a few of them. I would Google them, but also just try whatever works best for you. I think another thing that's really helpful is regular exercise. And when I say exercise, I mean the calming ones. Yoga, Pilates, walking is extremely good for this. And the cool thing is the more you do all of these things, the more you increase your vagal tone. And when you increase your vagal tone, then these things are going to work for you more quickly, more effectively. It's just amazing how that's those are all great examples. How the vagus nerve is is getting more and more attention, I feel like, when it comes to chronic disease. I just saw an article probably about a month ago now that was saying it was theorizing that post COVID or long hauler was related to vagal nerve dysfunction. So you know, and again, it, it's just, it was cool to see that, you know, we talk about vagus, the vagal nerve when we do a lot, we, when we're talking about gut issues or, you know, stress and anxiety and, and all of the many things that those exercises can help with, but it was just really neat to see it in mainstream because we don't always see that. So I think it's, yeah. it's getting some well-deserved attention. Thanks to COVID. If anything good could come out of it, maybe it'll be the, <laughs> our attention on the vagus nerve, but it's just, it's encouraging because I just see that. I feel that. And I know you do too. It's gets missed all the time. And yes. uh, it, it's so important to, to prioritize that into the regimen. So when people are using the therapies that you mentioned, whether that be the ice or the humming or the breathing exercises, what will they feel? What will they experience to know that it's actually having a positive effect? It's really just this calming effect. It's kind of bringing yourself back to present. I think breath work is just so great for that because obviously we talked about how in your sympathetic state, your breath can't be regulated, right? Because you're in this state. And so this is you kind of taking back those reins and regulating it. And that in turn regulates that state. Absolutely. And what about like tracking? Is there any numbers or any... um specifics that people can track like with their Fitbit or whether that's, I, I don't know, resting heart rate or, or heart rate variability. Are there methods to see if you're doing better at this? Yeah, I think if you look at your heart rate before and after doing a breathwork exercise, that is a great way to see it at work, right? Like say you're yeah. having an extremely stressful day you're anxious, you're stressed, all this stuff is going wrong and your heart rate's really high, right? And then you sit down and you do a meditation, you do a breath work exercise, you take the time to put some frozen peas on your chest and then just check your heart rate and see how has this helped me? Because if it's gone down, like you're automatically being brought into this other state. Absolutely. Do you see people struggle 
maybe with sleep, if they have insomnia or problems with sleep, is that a common thing with vagal nerve dysfunction? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because anxiety has big impacts on sleep for sure. You're going to love it. I want, we just got a tool in our clinic. I went to a conference a couple of weekends ago and it's called Gamma Core. I'm kind of a nerd. I like all these little utensils <laughs> and tools that are out there now, but I was just so excited to see this and it's called Gamma Core and it's actually an external vagal nerve stimulator. So it, it goes on the neck and it gives like little electrical impulses. They've got great research to back it up. It's actually FDA approved for cluster headaches and migraines. And over in Europe, they're using it for Parkinson's disease and chronic constipation, inflammatory conditions, all of these different things there is actually approved for overseas. Not quite here yet. We're just got a few different things it's being used for, but it's just, it was so neat to see that. Like here is another tool that is being utilized to help with stimulating the vagus nerve, which again, you know, brings me to, to think that, hey, people are really starting to recognize that this is very important. We need to, we need to address that. We need to think about that. And to actually have a yes. device to use, it, it's just That's pretty cool. cool. Yeah, you'll yeah, check I've out. never heard of that. That's yeah, so cool. it's, I never did either until this conference. It's nuts because you, you stick it on your neck and then when it's working, it doesn't hurt. But it literally pulls your lip to the side. So it looks like you had a stroke while you're utilizing it. It's, so that's how you actually know you're stimulating vagus nerve is when your lip pulls to the side. It's pretty, pretty neat. <laughs> that is so cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to check it out. But I'm sure yeah, you'll appreciate that. Maybe not everybody else, but. <laughs> so <laughs> I do, I do appreciate that. So what are some other ways that people can incorporate polyvagal theory into their lives to really help? just optimize their state of wellness? Yeah. Step one, I would say, learn to identify your state. Absolutely. What do those states look like to you? So I think the best way to do that, like I said, I'm, we're going to do a little journal prompts. I love doing these with my clients and, and maybe your listeners can benefit from this as well. So I want you to go back to the part where we talk about the states and imagine those states and put yourself in them. And I want you to ask yourself the questions while you're in those states. I am blank. So what would you think about yourself? What, how would you see yourself when you're in a dorsal state, when you're in a sympathetic state, when you're in your ventral state? And then the next question is the world is blank. So how do you view the world when you're in each of these? And then just start to notice, like, when are you thinking in those ways in your day-to-day -day life? What are you doing when you're thinking in those ways? What are you listening to? What are you consuming? Who are you around? And then obviously, then we go into these exercises that you can do in order to pull yourself back out. But just knowing when you're in each state and recognizing, oh, I'm in dorsal right now. I can pull myself out of this. I have the power to do that. I think it's the first step. Awesome. Awesome. Well, can you, do you want to share one of those exercises? Do you want to talk about, you know, so once people recognize they're in this state and what that looks like to them, what, what are some ways to pull themselves out? I'm anxious to hear this. Yeah. So that goes back to the humming meditation, okay. the, gotcha. yeah, the icing, which, and you know, that's, these are just a small amount. These are just the ones that I use. There are so many different ones. It's just all about re-regulating that vagus nerve. 
And I think another really cool thing is called the ventral break. And that is basically you finding a way to pull that break whenever you find yourself like in dorsal, in sympathetic, find something you can really latch on to. So like I was saying earlier, you are walking down a beach with your spouse, whatever that looks like for you. Like, how can you pull yourself out and feel that hope again? That's a great way to do that. Oh, that's awesome. Talking about spouse and, and relationships, how, how can, you know, how can concentrating on this approach in addressing your nervous system benefit our relationships from day to day? I know there's a lot of animosity and tension, it seems like in the world today. How can we improve our relationships with each other through this method? Yeah. So as you know, I work with individuals and couples. This is one of my absolute favorite approaches to use with couples. Because if you can imagine yourself in a sympathetic state, you're feeling triggered, you're feeling angry, aggressive, you feel like fighting or kind of running away, and your spouse asks you for the third time to take the trash out. <laughs> imagine how you might react to that. Really, it's a simple question, right? And imagine how you might react to that when you're in that state versus when you're in the ventral state and you're feeling loved and connected and calm. That state, whatever state you spend most of your time in, it's going to really dictate how you're interacting with your partner. And it could be the difference between this big argument and this disconnection in your relationship. And then a simple like, oh yeah, I'll do that right away. Right? Do you kind of yeah. feel like that different? Yeah. Uh, so I think explaining that to my, my clients who are in couples, they're like, oh, when we're triggered personally, our relationship isn't going as well. Right? Absolutely. So, so really helpful for couples. And I'm sure that's the same, you know, true for not only personal relationships, but professional ones as well. I'm yeah. sure when people are in that ventral state, then they just excel at work and with their profession and with their friendships and with their romantic relationships. I bet the, the benefits are endless when you can really capture that. Yes, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, oftentimes people go to their doctors and, and they're diagnosed with a variety of different mental health issues. You know, that could be anxiety, depression or, or something else. And, and then they're immediately just kind of thrown on a pharmaceutical. It seems like that's the norm these days without any investigation into what's going on or, or, or why. So we know that drugs sometimes are needed and not dissing that. Sometimes people need those for a short period of time, but do you find that these other strategies or, or maybe some other strategies even that you haven't talked about are, are, are beneficial and can help people avoid pharmaceuticals who don't want to go down that route or want to take a more natural approach? Yeah. So I think there are probably more people than really need to be on psychopharmaceuticals. I'm definitely not against them. I think they're fantastic, especially for people who need them to like raise their baseline. But I think they have a time and a place and it's unfortunate that so many people end up being on them for for so long because i think once you've raised your baseline once you've gotten out of the weeds out of your dorsal right then it might be really great to start learning how to wean off of them and finding these other more holistic strategies like like meditation breath work these are the ones i always talk about because they're just like so effective for me personally and for my clients 
but just really finding what works for you and also finding the root cause. Why are you usually stuck in that state? Why is that happening? Sometimes it can be chemical, obviously chemical imbalances. Sometimes it can be learned state. Sometimes it can be a trauma. There are so many reasons why that can be. And so just taking a pill every day could be more of a Band-Aid solution. You want to get to the root cause. That's awesome. And I mean, it's so true. And I I think it's so important for people to recognize a couple of things. Like number one, I I love how you said part of this is recognizing when you are in a particular state. So you, because if you don't recognize that you're in a dorsal state or a sympathetic state, you're not going to think that anything needs to change and you're just going to create problems. But it's also important to recognize, you know, that this isn't always depression and anxiety. They're not always just a a, a psych problem. And that's what everybody's led to believe. I feel like it's just in your head. Mm -hmm. It it, it can be physical. It can be emotional. It can be a traumatic. I mean, if if your thyroid is not balanced, you're going to be a little bit anxious or depressed. If your gut is a wreck and you've got IBS, then and nobody feels good. You're going to be a little depressed. That's natural. So it's like you said, I love that. You got to figure out what's going on. And a lot of times it's multifactorial. But if you have trauma or you have stress or, or some of these other components, again, your it's hard for your body to be physically healthy as well. So, yes. you know, that's where you just got to really, I love the, the concept, just hitting it from all angles and working with different people, professionals like yourself. I mean, you're going to be able to dive into this in, in so much more detail than you're a traditional healthcare practitioner. So and you're going to be able to, again, hit this in a much better way, more efficiently and give them more time. So it's just, it's important, I think, for people to recognize you need to have a team to stay well. Yeah. Cowboy show here. You need, you need to really reach out and, and rely on the resources that are available. Yes, absolutely. And you take a whole body approach to mental health, really. And I think that's really important because a lot of what I do is mindfulness work, obviously like polyvagal approach, but I also do a lot of mindfulness work with my clients and really just helping people connect their body to recognize like their emotions because our emotions actually start in our body. Every emotion has a physiological signature which is so interesting to me. And so if you can kind of catch an emotion and feel it in your body before it gets here, because when it gets here, that's when it's going to attach to whatever narrative you have for survival. And that's what's going to put you in one of those states, right? And so your body is this amazing source of information. And I, I just love for people to be able to learn that about their bodies. Absolutely. I love that. Listen to your body, right? You know, again, the people who are in tune with their body, it's just amazing what they can accomplish and what they can overcome. Well, this has been awesome. Do you mind like sharing a patient story just to help people connect with what you do? Maybe just talk about a, a patient that you work with, what they were experiencing and what you guys did to, to help them overcome any problems they had? Yeah. So I've had a few clients who were in similar situations. So I'll talk about them and what I saw happen with them. And so they have had, they had had chronic anxiety, chronic depression, just all of these issues for so long. They didn't really understand the source. And we started to discuss like, what's your environment? What's your relationship like? And started to really notice that there were some things in their relationship that I, as a therapist, would view as toxic. 
and they didn't really notice it because it kind of happened to them slowly over time or their like family of origin blueprint didn't really give them like an accurate depiction of what love should look like. And so they were living in these states of survival in dorsal and in sympathetic. And so we worked with them to get them out of that, get them into ventral where they're feeling just like more empowered, more hopeful. And they started to see, wow, this relationship that I'm in is really causing all of these issues that I'm going through. And I watched these people who walked in feeling helpless, feeling stuck, really start to feel so empowered and stand up for themselves and create what they want in a relationship for themselves. And their abusers just didn't have any more power over them and they ended up leaving. And I think that was probably the most rewarding thing ever was just get like helping people find that part of them. That was something they already had. They just didn't have access to that because of the states that they were in. It's just, it must be so rewarding to, to experience that and see people reclaim their life. And I'd love to just have, take a couple of seconds because I think that's such an important topic too. And just discuss toxic relationships, because I see that a lot in practice as well, where, you know, their relationships are what are actually preventing them from, from recovering or from achieving their goals. What are, what could a toxic relationship look like? What does that mean? So if you can imagine someone critiquing everything you do, tearing you down every chance they get and not like manipulating you into believing these things about yourself, just imagine like the kind of state that you're going to be in, right? So I think red flags to look for, of course, in a relationship is like, it, are you constantly being critiqued? Are you being told that you're crazy for, you know, having your needs? Are your needs not being met or you're being told that your needs are too much? Those are just like a few little red flags among so many. But also if your family of origin wasn't fantastic and you didn't get to develop that blueprint of what love should look like and what kind of standards you should have, it's always good to evaluate. Does this feel good? Does this relationship feel good most of the time? Is it toxic? Does it make me feel bad? Just take a second to really evaluate that and know that your worth, no matter who you are, no matter what you've been told, you're worth having a relationship where you're respected and you're treated really well. Absolutely. I love that. I mean, it, it, so many people don't recognize it. They don't realize, they, they feel like they don't deserve happiness or they don't, you will see it where they don't deserve good health. It's just yeah. amazing what, what the, that mindset, how powerful that is. And a lot of times, like you said, people grow up thinking one way and, and that's what they view as normal throughout their life when it really is dysfunctional and it really is a problem. And that's right. another reason where, you know, again, it, it's so valuable to work with someone, a professional to help you figure these things out. I tell everybody, I think we should all be in therapy because it, it's so, we all, you know, have our, our problems and our traumas and our experiences yeah. that we need to work through. And, and it doesn't have to be see it severe. It doesn't have to be, you know, drastic. It can be just day-to-day -day things that stress you out and wear you down. And the more tools you have and the more coping skills you have, the, the better off it's going to be and the healthier you're going to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, I always love to end with just a practical health tip, something that people can incorporate into their daily lives to help them improve their state of wellness. Do you mind sharing an exercise or a tip that our listeners can implement to take their wellness to, to another level? Yeah. And I'm sure if you have your own therapist, your therapist harps on this all the time. So I'm just going to be <laughs> another therapist to tell you to do this, but that's because it's so important. I would say if you do nothing else, start to implement some meditation or breath work into your day. Even if you just do five minutes a day, it really kind of creates this calm almost this like deficit of stress to prepare you for whatever comes at you throughout the day. It just really makes your day run more smoothly. It's just so great for you. Highly recommend. Absolutely. And if people were going to look up some particular techniques, you know, or like if they're going to Google a couple of easy, easy breathing techniques, do you have anything specific that they may look for? So I just do them off of YouTube. Wim Hof. Is fantastic. I think a lot of people have heard of him. He's so great. (laughs) There are a bunch on YouTube, honestly. So anything that you can find, anything that's all about box breathing, which is like breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, kind of same amounts of time. That's great. It's really just about like engaging your diaphragm in your breath. Yeah, just you just got to do it. And it kills me because people every I always hear. I just don't have time to breathe. It's like, that's ridiculous. Everybody's got you five minutes. <laughs> Everybody can eat away five time. minutes. You can stand yeah. away an hour to watch your favorite show at night, but you can't take five minutes to breathe. You know, it's like that. It, it's just so important. And what you'll, the benefits you'll get from that are are just going to improve your entire day and your sleep and, you know, yes. your state of wellness. And you're going to want to do it more. I mean, I love, I talk to practitioners and they'll, they literally meditate for an hour or two in the morning. And that seems crazy and excessive, but they find so much benefit from that, that it's just something they have to do. It's non-negotiable. They know it, their family knows it, that is their time. And I just, I think taking time and prioritizing that, like you said, is just, is so important. And that's such a great tip. If you have time to go to therapy and you have time to go to the doctor, then you have time to take care of you. And in order to make that, investment worth it you have to do the small things on the side the day-to-day things yep and you you can breathe and and, and while you're at the doctor while you're you know (laughs) on the couch or while you're going to the bathroom like there's just it's just like you said you just got to focus on it and you the benefit you'll see that automatically such a good advice well uh, this has been absolutely amazing and i'm sure there's uh, our listeners are wondering you know how can they reach you or, you know, are you accepting new patients? Do you work virtually where people can find you to hook up with you to find some help if they need it? Yeah, of course. So you can find me on Instagram at evolution.austin.therapy or you can find me at evolutionaustintherapy.com. I am accepting new clients. If you are, so if you're in Texas or if you're just a resident of Texas and happen to be living somewhere else temporarily, I can, I'd love to meet you. I'm fully virtual. So just anywhere in Texas is perfect. And I also offer a free consultation because I, I think it's so important to find a great fit for you. So I'd love awesome. to meet with you. Yeah. I know you mentioned that you're always putting out videos and content on, is it on Instagram and where people can get health tips from you? 
Yeah, I feel like Instagram a little bit. A lot of the times I'll post blog posts and those are full of some really great content. So yeah, no, that's a great place to, to we'll find We'll make sure we my website. put the links to everything on on the show notes. But uh, awesome. again, I, I really appreciate your time and all of this great information. And we'll have to do this again sometime. Yes, I would love that. Thank you so much.